During the first part of this service, we've offered it up as a tithe. Focusing and our attention, our affections on you. We thank you that we can never outgive you. And during these last few moments, as praises have gone up, we thank you that you're here. Father, I ask that as your word is proclaimed this morning, in the same way that John in his gospel says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, Father, would you do that today? May your word today take on skin. And may Jesus dwell among us. Because at the end of the day, he's the only one that can make the difference in our lives. We recognize that talent is not enough. Giftedness is not enough. Jesus, you're the one that makes a difference. And so we open up our hearts, we open up our minds, and we give you the, the green light to do whatever it is you want to do today. And we'll thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen. amen. And amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Welcome, everyone. For those of you I've never met, uh, my name is Juan, and along with my wife, Deidre, we get to be lead pastors here at, at Victory, and we're so thankful that, um, that tonight we're going to experience a remarkable night of installation, and, 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 and we've got a lot of friends and family that are going to be coming to be a part of that. But we welcome you this morning. We want to welcome all of you watching online. Can we welcome our online campus this morning as well? Thank you for tuning in. And we're wrapping up a series this morning titled, The Difference Jesus Makes. And the reason this series has been important is because if you're like me and grew up in this area, you find it to be very religious, but at the same time confused about the person of Jesus, confused about God. And we cannot afford to be confused about Jesus. If he is who he says he is, and if he is who the Bible says he is, then what we believe about Jesus and our response to that matters greatly. And so today I want to look at and unpack a key word in the Bible that will help us to better understand the difference that Jesus makes. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, or if you're watching online and you're a follower of Jesus Today's message will help you better understand and appreciate the amazing gift you received when you said yes to Jesus. If you're here or if you're watching and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, today's message will give you an opportunity to come to the table and to reason with your mind but also with your heart what could be if you gave God a chance in your life. So I want all of us to go ahead and turn to two places in the Bible today. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and then put a bookmark, or put your program, or your ribbon, if you have a paper Bible, in Romans chapter 5. We're going to begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm, let me let you know up front that this morning I'm going to use 
I'm going to go through, we're going to work through a number of scriptures. All of them are going to be on the screen to my right and to my left. Those of you with paper Bibles, um, I'd advise you to just jot the references down and then you can study them throughout the week. Some of you have a, um, a smart device and maybe you're looking on the uh, Bible app on your phone and that's fine. You can follow along there as well. But go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and then just put a bookmark in Romans 5. These, these two books are in a section of the Bible in the New Testament and it's in the area that we call the epistles. And the epistles simply is a, is a word for letters and these two letters um, in most of the Bible that we're going to look at today are letters written by the Apostle Paul. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to begin there. But how many know that words, words are important? Words are important. Like keys open doors, key words open minds, and through the mind, the heart. And so today I want to look at a key word. And in 2 Corinthians 5, we are introduced to a key word that I submit to you this morning, I believe, is at the heart of the gospel. This is a key word that stands at the intersection of sinful man and a holy God. And what I'd like to do today is I want to unpack this key word, and we find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and that word is reconciliation. You have the verb reconcile, the noun reconciliation, and we're going to see this word used in 2 Corinthians 5 and in a few other places in the scriptures, but let's begin there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In that one verse, that one verse describes what we know to be the, the salvation experience or what Jesus called in John chapter 3 the born again experience. That verse describes that experience. Verse 18 goes on to say, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or charging their trespasses to them or against them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus. Paul uses this word, reconciliation, only five times throughout his writings, and we've just read one of those places. In fact, we're going to look at some of the other places where Paul uses this word. And this word, I believe, is the heart of the gospel. 
One of the first things that I want us to understand, and this is the first point if you're taking notes, write this down. I want us to understand the meaning of reconciliation. The meaning of reconciliation. The general idea conveyed by the original language, the Greek, in the Greek, the original Greek root from which the relevant terms are formed is that of change or exchange. Change or exchange, or more, precise, more precisely, a change of relationship. A change to the status of the relationship. For those of you that are a little bit more studious and would appreciate this, let me give you a more formal definition, and it'll be on the screen. To reconcile means to bring together again persons who had previously fallen out. To replace alienation, hostility, and opposition by a new relationship of favor, goodwill, and peace. And so to transform the attitude of the persons reconciled towards each other and to set their subsequent mutual dealings on a wholly new footing. For the rest of us who like it simple, it simply means to make peace, to bring two parties together that once were at odds with one another, and to make peace, to make peace. Now, the initiative in reconciliation, when we think of it on a human level, when there are two parties that are at odds against each other, the initiative may be taken by a third party, meaning someone outside of the conflict outside of the hostility, can broker a deal between the two parties. Or the initiative can be taken by one or the other of the offended party. The initiative, the, the reconciliation can be um, initiated by the person that caused the offense on a human level. As they come and ask for forgiveness and, and the other person may or may not receive that, or the initiative can be taken by the offended party. The offended party can humble themselves and, and broker a deal. As it pertains to God and man, in the reconciliation between God and man, it is God, the injured, the offended party, who takes the initiative. He is the one who takes the step forward to make peace and to bridge the gap of hostility and opposition. And we will unpack that and see how he takes the initiative in just a few moments. But what I want us to do right now is to take a step backward to get a better view of this word reconciliation. Reconciliation proposes, presupposes, it presupposes estrangement, a falling out, a separation or hostility. On at least one side. But in the case of God and sinners. And by sinners I mean those that do not have a relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ. Because biblically speaking any person that does not have a relationship with God through Jesus are classified as those who live in sin. They they can on the outward have good works and all of that. But this is not my classification. This is Bible. And so fallen man 
In the case of God and fallen man, it seems clear, follow me, that the estrangement or the hostility is mutual. And to unpack that, I want to first of all take a look at our side as fallen man, as men and women. Sinful man. Let's look first at sinful man. Because to fully appreciate what lies at the heart of the gospel, we must understand what precedes it. And the Bible goes on to tell us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, and you, and he's addressing followers of Jesus right now. He's saying, you, Victory Christian Center, who once were, and, and watch how he begins to describe our nature, our position prior to coming to God through faith in Jesus. He says, you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind and also through wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Paul is saying prior to your experiencing reconciliation, your status, my status before God was not just one of a neutral bystander. It wasn't as if there's groups of people outside of a relationship with God through Jesus that are some are for God and some are against God. No, but every person prior to receiving the ministry of reconciliation, every person stands not as a neutral bystander, but they stand alienated and an enemy of God. Any person outside a relationship with God, made possible through faith in Jesus, is at best alienated from God, an enemy of God, and this through their own thoughts and actions, and they're openly hostile toward God. This, according to the Bible, is the natural state of every child of Adam. In other words, every man, every woman, Every boy or girl is born with a specific nature. And the Bible describes that nature as a sinful nature. We are all born broken. We are all born bent. And not with a bent toward God, but with a bent against God and even hostile towards God. And no one is a neutral bystander. No one is a neutral bystander. I don't know about you, but I didn't have to teach my girls how to lie or how to be selfish. At two and three and, and years old, they, they came up with it all on their own. I was surprised when they figured out how to, how to take things that didn't belong to them and then how to cover it up with a lie. No one had to teach cute little junior how to snatch a toy that didn't belong to him from another kid and say mine. We're all broken with a nature and with a bent that's not toward God but against God. And the more that life happens and the older that we get, the separation only gets more drastic. And the further away from God that we grow. But every person doesn't matter your ethnicity, doesn't matter your race, your gender, it doesn't matter your economic background, it doesn't matter what continent you were born in, 
Every person is born with a sinful nature, with a nature that is not only alienated from God, but hostile and in opposition to God through our thoughts and through our actions. So man in his natural state is not a neutral bystander. In fact, Romans 8, 7 goes on to say that the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And in other words, sinful man is opposed to God and to everything that is of God. It is his nature to disobey God's law, to disbelieve his gospel, and to refuse him service or worship. If sinners could dethrone God, repeal his laws, and cancel his judgment, guess what? They would. And the reason is, is, is that men are born rebels. We're born rebellious against our maker. Man in sin is at odds, worse, hostile toward God. And that is the state of every man and every woman, every boy and girl, separated from God without Jesus. Now I want to discuss God's side of the equation but I must warn you. I need to preface this and warn you because this is going to be for some of you very alarming. But I need to share this with you. It's necessary that I convey this part of the story with you. Because it may sound contradictory to a phrase that you'll hear often being said here, especially from this platform, and that is that God is for you and not against you. And he is. But these next few moments, I need you to lean in, and I don't want you to just get lost, and I don't want you to stay in this moment and, and somehow retreat back to a former time of, of, a, of a memory of, of when you grew up in a religion when God was angry all the time. I, I don't want you to reverse back to that, but I must warn you, what I will share with you in these next few moments is critically important but it may alarm some of you. Biblically speaking, biblically, we've established that sinful man is at odds with God, that there's a separation, that they're not only, they're not, they're not a neutral bystander, but through their thoughts and through their actions, they're openly hostile towards God, and they cannot know God by themselves. Biblically speaking, when it comes to God's relationship with sinful man, the enmity, the awe, the separation, the hostility, listen, is mutual. It's mutual. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says, all of us, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. In other words, what I'm saying to you is that there's not only a wicked opposition of the sinner to God, but there is a holy opposition of God to the sinner. 
that biblically speaking from the Old and New Testament, because this is evident throughout the Old and New Testament, that not only is there a wicked opposition from sinful man toward God, but there's a holy opposition from a holy God towards man. Why is that? Because God, His holiness is constant. His righteousness is relentless. His judgments are just. He's a holy God, and His holiness, His righteousness demand a holy opposition to sin and every man and every woman that embraces sin. And we must understand that the flame of his indignation and his opposition towards sin is not just a momentary flicker. It is a blazing flame that burns red hot. And the reason is, is because sin cannot stand in the presence of a holy and righteous and just God. Romans 1.18 goes on to say that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. We gloss over these verses and these aren't the ones that we tweet. Because they run counterintuitive to the one-sided gospel that we've been inundated with and have embraced in our American plastic Christianity. But can I tell you that at the backdrop, at the background of the good news stands the bad news and you can never fully appreciate how good the good news is until you begin to understand how bad the bad news was. That biblically speaking, I, 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 wish I, I wish I could embrace the new tolerance. And I, I wish in moments that I can, I, I can embrace when it comes to the gospel this, this, this fairness doctrine. But God did not leave it up to interpretation. He did not leave it up for me to conjure up my own idea. I must preach the truth of this book. Not Juan's opinion. Not Juan's idea. Not a politically correct gospel, but the only gospel that I know that can save a sinner because no one is too lost that Jesus cannot save. No one is too sinful that Jesus cannot forgive. No one is too broken that Jesus cannot make whole. And so this Bible teaches me that the only people that have a claim to be called children of God are those that have come in to that relationship through Jesus. Every other person are children of wrath. Biblically speaking. Men are opposed to God in their sin, and God is opposed to man in his holiness. And there is this gulf, there is this separation, there is this enmity, this hostility that's mutual. Friends, that's a problem. That's a problem. How do we fix that problem? Well, we don't. Number two, I want to talk about the making of reconciliation. 
And I want to introduce you to the answer of this problem that affects those of us living in North America, South America, the continent of Africa, Australia, Asia, throughout the Middle East, and throughout the world. The making of reconciliations in Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell in Jesus. And by Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that the original state of man is that they're openly hostile to God. They're enemies of God. They're alienated from a relationship with God. But that that hostility was mutual. And that all of us before Jesus were children of wrath. Yes, made in the image of God. Yes, people of great value and great worth. But outside of a relationship with God made possible through faith in Jesus, by nature we were children of wrath, worthy of judgment and the, and the righteous indignation of a God that was mutually opposed to us as sinners. But Jesus... Paul is saying that through Jesus, reconciliation, peace, that through his broken body on the cross and the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross, that Jesus, the cross, represents the apex of human history where God initiates to, to, bridge, to bridge a gap. He initiates reconciliation between himself, the offended party, and sinful man by sending his son Jesus who stood at the crux and at the apex of world and human history where on the cross he brought about two parties that were hostile towards one another. One in his wickedness, the other in his holiness, and he made peace through the cross. His death and his shedding of blood. Romans 5, 9 says, much more than having now been justified. That's another key word. What does that mean? It means to be declared righteous. Having now, when we come to Jesus through faith, we are declared righteous. We are justified by his blood. That's a word that's not said from many pulpits anymore. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that washes my sin, my guilt, 
my hostility, my rebellion, and makes me white as snow. There's no other founds I know, not Buddha, not Confucius, not any other religion, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, come on, let's thank God for his son. Hey, he's the game changer. Much more than having now been declared righteous by his blood. His, wow. Sandy, I just want to preach. Because the blood speaks. His blood declares you righteous. Let's move on. We shall be saved from wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. Through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Why did we make a big deal a couple of weeks ago on Easter Sunday? Because it was his death that reconciled us, but it was his life that guaranteed me eternal life once this earthly body passes away. And not only that, verse 11, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Paul is saying that through the bloodshedding of Jesus, peace was brokered between God and man. The hostility between them was destroyed and the divine wrath of God was turned away from them forever. And a key word, a key term that we often gloss over that describes this is propitiation. What does propitiation mean? It means the turning away of God's wrath. When Jesus died on that criminal's cross, God's divine wrath that was aimed at sinful man was propitiated or turned away. And then another key word is substitution. What's that mean? It simply means the action of replacing someone with another person. In other words, God's wrath needed satisfied. And so when Jesus came on the scene and died on that cross as the apex of human history, as he brokered peace between a holy God and sinful man, the Bible describes the process of Jesus becoming sin and taking on the sin of the whole world, your sin and my sin, sins I've committed, sins I'm struggling with, and sins I will commit. That from eons past and eons moving forward, the sins of the world he took upon himself. Galatians goes on to describe that he became a curse. And as he stood on that cross, carrying the sin and the weight of the world, God's wrath was, was, was turned from humanity and turned on his son. Meaning that what Jesus endured on that cross was not just the physical cruelty of a Roman crucifixion, 
but what he endured was the weight of your sin and my sin and those that have lived and those that are to come. But worse yet, he experienced on the cross the wrath that we deserved. He took it on, the wrath of the Father, a holy and just God. Becoming our substitution. He endured more than just physical pain. He endured separation from God himself. He took on the separation so that you and I can have the opportunity to be reconciled. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. That's a very interesting verse because here's what the Bible is saying. When God's wrath was diverted from us to the Son, we weren't just left with a clean slate. But when we give our lives to Jesus, when we place our faith in the only one that is sufficient, the only one that could have brokered this deal with God, when we put our faith in that one, in that person, his name is Jesus not only does, it, does his blood washes us away from sin, he just doesn't leave a clean slate behind. But there's a divine exchange. That in the same way, a Jewish man in the Old Testament would bring his family to Jerusalem, carrying with him the family pet lamb. And setting that pet lamb on the day of atonement in Jerusalem before the priest, the perfect, spotless, pure pet family lamb. And as he would set that lamb before the priest and before its slaughter, that dad, that father, on behalf of him and his family, would lay hands on this lamb, signifying that all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt, we transfer it over to the sinless, spotless lamb. But that's not all. Everything that this lamb represents, its perfection, its sinlessness now gets transferred over to me. And that, my friend, is what happens when you lay hands on Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That everything that we were, sinners, openly hostile to God, worthy of receiving divine wrath and indignation, that when we say yes to Jesus, not only does he wipe us clean and make us clean, but we get something in exchange as well. He receives our sin. He receives our guilt. But we get his righteousness. We get his sinlessness. We get his sonship. And we get to stand before a holy and just God who is our Father. Without any fear, without any worry. Because we are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But just knowing that isn't enough. I'm ending with this last point, And that is the receiving of reconciliation. The receiving of reconciliation. Reconciliation was made by Christ's death. But it is not possessed until it's received. It is not possessed until it is received. How is it received? By faith. Reconciliation is received 
by faith. In fact, if you don't remember anything else from this message, remember this. Peace with God is received by faith. Not by working for it or earning it, but by believing and taking it. Not by resting in a theory of atonement. Not by joining a church. Not by getting credentialed or licensed in the ministry. Not by pledging allegiance to a certain brand of Christianity or denomination. But it is received by receiving a living Savior. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or charging their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What's the word of reconciliation? It's what you've been hearing all morning. It's called the gospel. And he's committed to us this message. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. What does that mean? That means that not only are we receivers of this great gift, but we're dispensers of it. We're dispensers of it. It goes on to say, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. As though God were pleading through us. That statement provides you a window into the passion of a preacher. That declares that Jesus Christ is the only way. Because my passion does not find its source from the fact that I'm Latino. Yes, Latinos are passionate. But I'm married to an Italian, and so are Italians. <laughs> Everybody is passionate for their own thing in their own area. Every ethnic group has passions. And yes, I know Latinos are passionate. But my passion does not come from my de genetic genes. For my DNA, it doesn't come because I grew up in a Pentecostal Hispanic environment. I'm not passionate because I didn't grow up in a more reformed Christian setting. No, no passion comes from the fact that there, there's a God that at one moment in history was mutually hostile towards sinners, but because of Jesus, we become We've been transferred from objects of wrath to objects of his affection and of his love. But men and women don't know that. And so in the same way, just as if God were making his appeal through us, there comes a moment where I look out at a crowd like this and I wonder if there's a man or a woman that's far from God and you don't know that God is for you and not against you. I know I painted a picture of a God that was hostile towards the sinner. But Jesus demonstrates that God loves you. 
And he is for you and not against you. That's why he sent Jesus, not just for me, but he sent him for you so that you could have an opportunity to find purpose and meaning and allow Jesus to make a difference in your life. Be reconciled to God means receive your reconciliation. Listen, it's not my reconciliation. Reconciliation doesn't belong to a denomination. It's your reconciliation and your reconciliation. Receive your reconciliation. And that means receive the reconciler who brings the reconciliation with him. You cannot separate Christ from his gifts. You cannot separate Christ's gifts from Christ himself. Meaning that when you receive Christ Jesus in just a moment, you receive justification. You receive reconciliation. You receive substitution. You receive salvation and healing and peace and grace and mercy. You receive. Because when Jesus shows up in your life, everything else has to back up and he brings his world with him. Everything that he is, you now receive. At some point, we got to go from needing him to wanting him. I could build the case of why everyone needs Jesus, and we do. Because we stand outside of Jesus in the direct line of fire, the wrath of a holy and just God. That if you were to breathe your last breath without giving your life to Jesus, you will come face to face with a God that truth through tears will have to judge you and send you to a hell that was not created for you. But Jesus has made a way for us to experience life and life more abundantly. And so the way you receive reconciliation is through faith. Faith both takes and gives. Faith takes and gives. It takes God's promises. Faith takes God's Son, God's salvation, and it gives itself up to God's service. Saving faith. It takes the Lord as Savior, but then gives itself up to the Savior as Lord. Faith takes Everything that Jesus is, everything that he brings with him, but then gives its life. It's what happened to me when I was a teenager in my bedroom, kneeling by the side of my bed, and I grew up in church. But when I realized that attending church and growing up in church could not broker that deal with God, that just because my mom and dad knew Jesus, that could not broker that deal with God. But that I had to personally, as a young man at the age of 16, recognize that the only way that peace between me and God can be made is if I received 
the reconciler himself, Jesus. And everything that I knew about God in my head, because I could memorize scripture, I knew the Bible, I knew the stories. But that night as I knelt by the side of my bed, everything that I knew about God in here made a bridge to my heart. And that night Jesus reconciled me to the Father. And I became a child of God. That's the miracle, friend. Now I want all of you to follow me. Follow me very precisely in these next few moments. I'm going to ask all of us to stand to our feet in this moment. Just stand. Do so as quietly as you can, please. And as we stand, if I can ask everyone in this room for just a moment to just bow your head and shut your eyes for a moment. In no way am I asking you to close your eyes so that I can coerce you or manipulate you for any reason. That's not why I'm asking you to do that. I simply want to give you privacy. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you look inside of your soul and you cannot find proof that Jesus Christ has reconciled you, made peace between you and the Father, friend, that is something that must be immediately fixed. You cannot leave here today without fixing that. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive the gift that you do not turn down. This is the gift that you do not turn down. This is the moment that you never put off for another day. If you're here and you say, I want out. I want out of the hell that I'm living in. And I want my sins completely washed and forgiven. And then I want in. I want into the kingdom of God through his son Jesus. If that's you here today, I will pray for you but not unless you do me this one important favor. And it's not a favor to me, it's a favor to you. If you're here today, sir, you're here today, ma'am, and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never taken what he has to offer and given your life to Jesus, or maybe you're here and you prayed a prayer, but you're far from God. I may not see it. Those around you may not know it, but you know it and God knows it. If that's you, sir, if that's you, ma'am, in just a moment, when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to just shoot your hand up. And it's not a favor to me, it's a favor to you. So if you're here and you want Jesus Christ to step into your life and make the difference, right where you're at, one, don't be backward, don't be ashamed. Two, forget about all those around you. This is you and God, this is your moment. Three, shoot your hand up right now. Come on. God bless you, sir. I see you. In the back, I see you. Quickly, all the way in the back, I see you. I see you, sir. I see you, ma'am, right up front. I see you. I see you in the back. Come on, quickly, quickly, quickly. Keep them up. I see you. I see you. Come on, some of you are making this decision for the first time. Others are recommitting. If you know you should have slipped your hand up a moment ago and you didn't do it, ask yourself why. Why one more time am I letting the best days of my life slip me by if you know you should have lifted your hand and you didn't do it do it now in Jesus name quickly don't be backward do it now join the others 
Bless you, sir. I see you in the back. I see you in the back. I see you in the back. Those of you, you lifted your hands up. Those of you that still have your hands raised, right now, no delay, I want to pray for you. Come out of your seat. Meet me right here, right now. Come quickly, sir, ma'am, right there. Sir, over here in the hat, come. Come quickly. Come on. Don't be backward. Don't be ashamed. Meet me right here. I want to pray for you. Come, sir. In the back. Over here. Come, don't delay. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He's ready for you. Come quickly. Come. Come in the back, on the sides. Come quickly. Come to Jesus, the reconciler. He alone can make the difference. Come quickly. Come quickly. Don't delay. Come on, you're not alone. You're not alone. We'll give you 60 more seconds to come. Don't miss this window of opportunity, friend. The door is open in this moment. Step through it. Step through the door. Come, sir. Come, ma'am. This is your moment. Some of you, that you feel that chain. with It's like a, with a heavy ball hanging by your ankle. Can I tell you? That the moment you take that first step, that chain gets snapped. And every other step becomes easier and easier. So come, 30 more seconds. God is waiting for you. Just come. Everyone up front, look at me. What you just heard today is what we call the good news. We started off with the bad news, and that was that you're separated from God. Objects of his wrath. Because all of us had that sinful nature. But God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die in your place. Not just to die for you, but to die as you. And he took on your sin on that cross. Every sin you've committed, every sin that you will commit, he took it upon himself. And God loved you so much that he said, I'll give you my son. And he died in your place. And he took on the Father's wrath so that you can be given an opportunity this morning to receive Jesus and thereby be reconciled to your heavenly Father. He's for you and not against you. And this morning in a moment, a miracle is going to happen. Because this is a miracle. And the miracle is you becoming a child of God. The reason some of you have tears coming down in your face is because there's something familiar about God and what you're sensing in this atmosphere. You came from God. The Bible says that before you were formed in your mother's womb, he knew you. Oh, they might say you were a mistake. 
But God knew you. And to God, you weren't a mistake. He had a purpose and a plan for your life. The reason there's tears is because there's something familiar. You're going back to the God that knew you before, you before he put flesh on you. And in a moment, I'm just going to lead you in a very simple prayer. This prayer isn't magic. It's just words. But as I lead you in this prayer, you need two things. You need number one, faith. And guess what? You already have it. How do I know? Because the Bible says it's a gift. And he's giving you the gift of faith. And all of you have it because you would not have stepped out in this crowd for this moment if you did not have faith that Jesus can do what he's best at. And that's saving you. The second thing you need is sincerity. Own this prayer. Own this prayer. With sincere hearts and with faith. Pray this prayer, all of you up front, out loud with me. And church, if you can help me help them. Say this out loud. Say, Father God, here I am today, just as I am. I'm a sinner in need of the reconciler. I receive you, Jesus. I receive your blood, forgiveness of sin. I receive your reconciliation. I receive your righteousness. I receive your love. I receive you, Jesus. And I give you my life. I give you who I am. All the days of my life are now yours. I want to be born again. I want to be a friend of God. So I receive you, Jesus, from this day forward. I will follow you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Listen, don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Stay. Give me one more minute. We only have a couple minutes. We've got, we've got to wrap this up. But listen, here's what's going to happen. All of you up here, whether you've prayed this prayer before or not, all of you up here, there's this packet right here that we have. We must get this into your hand. So I need our prayer team to stand behind one of these people, someone from the prayer team. And here's what you're going to do. All you're going to do is you're going to turn around right now and you're going to receive this packet. Go ahead and take one. We need folks from the prayer team right up here. Thank you. Our prayer team is coming. I want to make sure everyone has this, that pray that prayer. And I want you to hold it up like this. I want you to show me it. Very good. If this is in a bag, it needs to be taken out of a bag for the person receiving it. Wonderful. Here's what we're going to do. All of you that are here with this packet, I'm going to ask you to just take, just take two steps backward. Just do that for me. And then I want our prayer team to come and position yourselves up here at the altar because we're going to open up the altar for prayer in just a moment. Okay, just give them a little bit of room. Those of you that have this packet, don't go anywhere just yet. Here's what's going to happen. Honey, would you come and join me? Those of you that have this packet, here's what's going to happen. Give me your attention. In just a moment, my wife and I are going to pronounce a blessing. At the end of that blessing, 
We're going to give everyone here that needs prayer for any reason an opportunity to receive prayer. There's some of you here, you need, maybe it's your finances, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's your family. You don't have to be a member of Victory to receive prayer. We all need prayer. I need prayer. You need prayer. So if you need prayer for any reason, at the end of this blessing, we're going to invite you to come and receive prayer. My wife and I are going to sneak out into the lobby and greet some of you and But those of you that have this packet, before you leave, I need you to connect with someone on this prayer team, and they're going to guide you in just filling out this card, and then they're going to pray for you. And so at the end of the blessing, that's what we're going to do. Those of you with this, just come up to someone, and they're just going to guide you and fill in this card out right here, and then they're going to pray for you. And we're also going to pray for anyone else who needs prayer. Is that all right? Keep your eyes open. Friends and family of Victory Christian Center, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. May God bless you and keep you in all of your ways. May you know the reconciler more deeply, more intimately. And as you've received the ministry of reconciliation, may God use you like he used the Son to give your life away, to see countless, countless of others coming to the reconciler himself. I bless you in your homes, your businesses, your jobs, your family, your marriages, your children that you would experience God in a great and deeper way this week. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, if you need prayer for any reason, we want to pray for you this morning.